Thank you for joining us today. Whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on-site with us weekly or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely. It's on all our social media platforms. I hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Amen, amen. Oh, you guys, are you happy to be here? Just give your neighbor a fist bump and say, Happy New Year. Gently, gently. Come on, guys. I'll give your other neighbor a fist pump. Check they're awake. Just check they've got a pulse going on here. Ah, there we go. Just tell your neighbor it's going to be good this morning. Tell your other neighbor, no, it's going to be really good. We're talking about kingdom thinking. Um, I've got a three-part series, God willing, maybe more, about what it means to think kingdom thinking. And the first one we're going to jump into is the kingdom of God is at hand, or it's near. And when we think of kingdom, what we think the kingdom means, we're going to look into that a little bit and what, how that may be different from the way that we are thinking. If it's at hand, it is close. Just reach out like this. How far is your hand from you? Some of you, it's further than the others, but not like your knuckles dragging on the floor or anything. But it's close, right? It's close. It's all right. We can have a bit of fun this morning. It's all right. Just relax. I'm not telling any of my Christmas jokes, so you can be glad. That there's a reason to be thankful for everything. Let's jump into Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says this, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And when Jesus said the kingdom is near, he literally means it's at hand. And perhaps this is best understood within the context of a first century Jew in Palestine. Jesus' hearers perhaps understood that word kingdom in the Old Testament narrative of the kingdom of Israel. That's perhaps how they understood it. But we can understand Scripture as one long narrative in different acts then we can catch a glimpse of the whole picture, the whole story of where this kingdom fits in within this narrative. And it helps us to say, well, where do we fit in in 2023 within the narrative of the God's big picture and his grand narrative of God's plan? And we can have an understanding of this, uh, that the 66 books of the Bible are connected to tell one story. And when you look at a a zoomed out version of this big picture reading of the Bible within this framework, it helps us better understand how, how the particular or individual verses have an impact within that. So we can look at the words, we can look at the verses, we can look at the original Hebrew, we can look at the original, uh, it was written in Greek or Aramaic, we can look at these things and we can say, okay, well, what is these things fitting into the bigger picture, and then extrapolate out of that contextualization is where do I fit within that picture. N.T. Wright did some work on this, and he thought about the overall arc of the biblical narrative, 
And he says it's good to think of this as a six-act play. Act one is creation in the beginning. Act two is the fall and the rebellion of human rebellion. Act three begins with Israel being the chosen people. Act four begins with Jesus as the faithful Israelite. Act five is the church, if you like, the new Israel, the new people of God. And act six is the new creation, the heaven and earth, new heaven and earth, which is to come. So we can see ourselves fitting in into a time period called the church. And how that fits in with kingdom. Let's have a look at that. If we understand the word kingdom in its simplest definition possible, is a kingdom is a people who are governed by a king. I think we can all get our head around that. And that people is then not just one ethnic group. It's not just one social economic group. It's not some private club or some kind of... uh, you know, set aside for one set of people. But we look at the New Testament and we say, okay, what is God's kingdom here now on earth? And the simple answer, it's got to be the church. And I'm not talking about the church as a building made of stone and brick. I'm talking about the church as the people of God. The church, not in a supersessionist way, as in the church replacing and God abandoning Israel, but in an expansionist, progressive sense of the church expands as Israel opened its door to the Gentiles. And Gentiles means non-Jews. So if we're thinking kingdom, and we're thinking what it means to be kingdom people, it means that we have a king who rules both with redemption and governing. And the king rules over the people, the Israel and the church, through the revelation of the Torah, the teachings of Jesus and the apostle, and the king rules. That's what a king does. I know we often have kings that don't seem to have much authority here on earth, but I tell you there is a king of kings and a lord of lords, that's Jesus Christ, and he has all authority. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, And what did he say he was going to do with that authority? Come on, biblical scholars. You know the scripture. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me and I give to you. In our scripture this morning, we see Jesus coming to Galilee, proclaiming good news. Good news, we use the word gospel, but that is what we're saying, good news. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. My first point I want to make this morning is that repent and believe. This is the redemptive role of our Savior Christ. This was a common saying. Good news was a common saying in those times. Kings, and in this case perhaps Caesar of Rome, would often proclaim or get a herald out there and start calling out good news. And they were told that Caesar is Lord. And the good news is that Caesar has come as your saviour. So this cheeky group of upstarts that begins to say, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. And no, 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 he is the son of God. He is our saviour. was seen as very controversial and subversive within the Roman Empire. But Jesus' rule was not like 
the kingdoms of this world. He tells this to Pilate. Pilate says, are you a king? He says, I am a king, but a king not like you know a king. And Pilate did find this hard to understand, but realized that Christ was a significant king. And you remember, he ceremoniously washed his hands of his killing. You remember that? But Caesar would shape the kingdom very differently to how Christ would build his church. Even though Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what did Jesus mean when he said the time is now? What did he mean if he was just a wandering around the desert prophet? How was he saying the kingdom is here and it is now? What did he mean by that time is fulfilled? Well, you look at his ministry in Galilee, you look at how Luke wrote it in Luke chapter 4, and according to his version, the, uh, the people were delighted in Galilee to hear this prophet, but they got upset when he said the time is fulfilled. It's okay for a prophet to speak about the future and what's coming, but Jesus was bringing this into now, and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled, Luke 4.21, in your hearing. And the proclamation of this new king, the time of God's favor, where the king is now beginning to rule. And those who'd waited for these things that were prophesied years before had this expectation that perhaps the kingdom would then take his physical throne and uh, the Roman army, the powers, the principalities, the rulers and the authorities would be put out and this would be a very political king. But Jesus spoke about this. In Luke 4, just before that, verse 18. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, or he has messiahed me, to bring the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. Their expectations of God's kingdom were not aligned with what Christ was talking about. There were zealots at that time. You can read this in history. They tried to rise up against the Roman army to establish an independent Jewish nation, but they were quickly crushed, their leaders killed, and their followers dispersed. But they would have had questions like, who is this man coming to us? Who is he? Don't we know him? He's, he's from Nazareth. We know, his, we know his brothers. We know his mother. We know his father. Who is this man? We've been longing for this moment but we still don't know what this moment will look like. For generations, they've been taught that God, the maker of heaven and earth, would come back and would set everything right. But as time has gone on and on and on, it looked like it's never going to happen, and they thought God had forgotten them. Then arrogant foreign soldiers invaded their land. Came Other nations with their strange cultures were taking over their towns and their villages and turning them into places God-forsaken places that they wouldn't want to live. They make us pay taxes. And they were living like slaves instead of living like God's free people. And nobody really knew what it would look like when God came back. But they heard about this prophet who was going around the villages healing people, saying that the sovereign rule of heaven was now invading earth. And they were excited. They were saying, what's his plan? What's going to happen? And they wanted to make him king, it says in one place. They wanted to force him into a political position. But now he's telling them that God is on the move. And these people are going to begin to come out on top. You see, their spirits had been crushed. They'd been so, 
sorrowful, longing to see God's way out. What does it mean to preach good news to the poor? What does it mean to proclaim release to the captives? You see, what they didn't understand is they were held captives to sin. And they were blind to their own shortcomings, failures, and weaknesses. They were oppressed, not just by the Romans, but by oppressed by the evil that's around. And Christ came to deal with that. So what does it look like, this kingdom? The, the characteristics of a kingdom take on the personality of the king. And Jesus didn't come with the armies to deal with Rome. He came, Philippians um, 2 tells us, that he came as a servant, as a slave it even says. He came as a slave and humbled himself even unto death, the death on the cross. But he had the last laugh because he was the one who arose again, defeating the powers, the principalities. And as our king, uh, the, the cruciform nature of our king establishes the nature of our kingdom. As Christ was a servant, Paul says, have this same mindset in you that you are to serve. And whom are we to serve? We're no longer serving sin. We're no longer serving our old self, doing our own thing, trapped. We're now serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? So the church perceives itself as the people of God, redeemed and rescued from sin, from self, from systemic evil, by our King Jesus. Then as our King, we now have the mentality of the King to live as servants for the benefit of others. On that point of kingship and lordship, we should note that Jesus is not just our Savior that's taken us out of our old life, but He is also our King and our Lord. And those who see Christ as the Savior of their sins yet refuse to acknowledge Christ as king misunderstand the church's mission within the big picture of bringing in the year of the Lord's favor. Our king redeems us, yes, and, but the people of the king are subject to the king as the redeemed subjects. The mission of the church then has this motive of redemption, that God is saving us from our sins, from our diseases, from our narcissistic selfishness, from saving us from structural injustices and, and, and redeeming us as a people because we are ushering in His kingdom here on earth. And we know at the deepest of deepest of level that we serve King Jesus above everything else, above our culture, above our national identity, by, above um, whatever other characterizations we might try and identify with. We don't serve the culture around us. We don't even serve the state. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're not subservient to the state even though we are good citizens. We know where our allegiance lies. It lies with the teachings of Jesus, the cruciform vision that he had that sets an agenda for the way that we live in this world. And at times as a church, as a people, we need to, yeah, we need to challenge the empire. We think it's not the Roman Empire, but there's still an empire of evil in the world that we need to challenge. And when our culture doesn't line up with kingdom values, 
where Christ is the king, we need to challenge that. Amen? Amen. We live in such a time where the church needs to speak out and have a voice. You know, Christ rose from the dead, it says, triumphing over the principalities and the powers. Made a spectacle of them. Many believe he, that was talking about the Roman Empire. You know, the Roman Empire would force their subjects to do what they wanted them to do and put them into the little box and anyone that would try and subvert that, they would crucify, they would put to death. And the Romans, they were good at it. They knew how to torture somebody in such a way that they would slowly, painfully hang there until they're dead. And that's the best that they could do. They were very well practiced. But you know what? Jesus made a mockery of them because he rose from the dead. He said, that's the best you got. That's the best you got. Bring it on. He rose from the dead. He said, triumphed over the powers and the principalities. The best efforts thwarted by the resurrection. And maybe the best the culture can do is, well, they can cancel us. They can arrest us. They can torture us. They can put us to the death. But we have the last laugh in the resurrection. Jesus spoke in Matthew 10. He sends his disciples out. He, He warns them of persecution, but he gives them authority. And he even said, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Spirit will give you the things to say. Because there's a wisdom that comes from the Spirit. And we need to, yes, be very careful in what we say, but not back down from the truth of the gospel, of the good news of the kingdom. Amen. He sent them out to preach the good news of the kingdom. He said to them, do not fear. This is verse 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the ones who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Concluding there in verse 32, this is Matthew 10. Everyone who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my Father in heaven. You know, he sent his disciples out with the same mandate that he started his ministry in Galilee with, which was repent, believe in the good news. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is our message. That is the message given to the disciples and that is the message that we're given today. My final point is about the kingdom coming in full. And there's a true sense, there's a very true sense that Christ is king right now because he has already won the victory. And we're already part of that kingdom. We're part of his church. So it's not, It's not then because we attend a building once a week. It's not because, um, you know, we, we give our tithes, you know, give our offerings. That's not what makes us part of the church. It's that we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are members of that body. And then our mentality changes from kingdom think. Our kingdom thinking mentality changes from us just attending a service that entertains us or uh, coming to a church because they serve the best coffee or the most delicious cookies and biscuits. You know, that's, that's not the relevance of us, of us being part of it because we're part of something bigger, like the big picture I spoke about. We start to think of ourselves as people who are saved, redeemed, but also that we are ruled by King Jesus. The final chapter that N.T. Wright talks about, the new heaven, new earth, and the resurrection, 
that bit is not yet. There's a new creation, yes, but there's a sense that it is now and it is not yet. And in Matthew 24, the Jesus they kept asking him, when will this end bit come? When will the new heaven and the new earth? When will the final redemption be? And it's interesting what he answers. Matthew 24, verse 14. And he says, and this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations or peoples, that word is. Um, to all Gentiles, you could translate that as. He said, then and only then will the end come. So if we're kingdom thinking people, we are thinking, yes, the kingdom is at hand. It's here in both the way we live, the way we follow the rules, by the way of redemption and governing. As King Jesus rules over the people, the church, through revelation of his teachings and his rule. Then we stop thinking just about uh, our personal redemption and start thinking about Christ who came to redeem and to rule and that we are subjects of the King, therefore we live by a new set of rules. By accepting Christ as our King and our Savior, we become part of His kingdom. We become part of something that is so close to us that we can touch it. And how do we touch it? Repent and believe. I think repent and believe, and I'm closing. Um, I think repent and believe is, is one action. Because we've been thinking another way. We've been thinking that we are the king and queen of ourselves and of our own lives. And, you know, we're not subject to anybody else. Or maybe we're puppets to some ideology. But he says, no, I've come to set you free. I've come to set the captives free. I've come to open your eyes. I've come to declare the year of the Lord's favor is here and is now. And by accepting Christ as King, as Lord, we become part of the kingdom as we repent and believe. Repenting is simply, not simply, but it can be said simply as changing our way of thinking. And there's a challenge to us. What, what are we thinking? Are we kingdom thinkers? Where do we see ourselves as part of the big picture? Do we see ourselves as, yeah, I go to church, I'm a good person, I don't do too many bad things, so I think I'll be all right. Or do we see ourselves as subjects of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And maybe we need to repent, change our thinking, and begin to believe as we turn around that change and believe. Repent and believe the good news that Jesus Christ himself has come to save us and he has crowned us as he has accepted us in his kingdom. Amen. The time is fulfilled. Don't wait till tomorrow and say, yeah, maybe tomorrow I'll make that decision to follow Christ. You don't know how many tomorrows you've got. I don't want to get all depressive on us, but the reality is we, none of us know how many tomorrows we have. The time is now. This is fulfilled now. Jesus said that over 2,000 years ago. Will you repent and believe? Will you say, Jesus, I want you to be my King of kings and my Lord of lords. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in good news. What is the good news? 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says, to bring freedom. There's a freedom in knowing that you're part of God's kingdom and not enslaved to the world, not oppressed, not blind. I was once blind, but now I'm free. You know that song's two, 250 years old. Amazing grace. 250 years old, that's a long time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Amen.